Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number 30. We are at a nice round number here. If we were in Roman numerals, this would be episode triple X. Ooh. Sadly, we're not in Roman numerals, and I don't no. believe there's going to be anything particularly triple X about this episode. Unless pants come off, but you never know when that might happen. Or they might already be off. Or they might already be off. We're we're in... No. We're in Schrodinger's podcast with... Heisenberg's pants or something. Yeah, <laughs> the Heisenberg uncertainty pants. Um. Anyway, I'm Kyle, trying not to cough gold. And I am Cam Hirosaki, enjoying a delicious glass of uh, Riesling Chateau St. Michel. It's very nice. Very nice. Uh, we are back in our uh, mountain bunker up in the wilds of Northern California. But uh, we wanted to first give a big thank you to Furry Fiesta. We had an absolutely fabulous time down in Dallas. We absolutely did. And uh, we loved the audience down there. They were great. They were? They they, uh, uh, they, 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 they put up with a lot of jibba-jabba from us. They did. And uh, we did, as, as a fond of mention, and, uh, make a corgi blush. I'm about halfway through listening to that episode, actually. I was listening to it on my drive down, and uh, some of what transpires was actually making me laugh out loud to myself in the car. So That's cool. Uh, it was actually, I think Zia, Zia McCorgy actually said he was listening to it again, and he found himself blushing all over again, which is very amusing to me. You don't have to do it hard and fast. You might <laughs> just take it slow and deliberate and enjoy it. Let's let's not start quoting our own podcast on later episodes of the podcast. <laughs> Best of. Um, but also a big thank you to Fuzzwolf, who sat through the whole thing with us and provided some interesting information on Fur Planet and publishing in general, and answered some of our writing questions also. Yeah. He's not only a publisher, but he's also a famous podcaster and a writer, so it's like three wolves in one. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of how you would arrange that. A lot well, of possibilities. Well, you know, depends on how big the muzzle is. Yeah, I was going to say. Two in there and then... Um, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, my book Bridges debuted at Furry Fiesta. <laughs> and uh, I was quite pleased that the challenge that I posed to my readership on LiveJournal was picked up and met. I had said that I was challenging them to make Fuzzwolf reorder. Because he told me he had ordered enough for both Furry Fiesta and FWA. And so I said, I bet you didn't. And uh, he came up to me Saturday early afternoon and said, so I just reordered. <laughs> Which means that uh, y'all out there get a another story from Bridges or from that world and those characters. And I'm going to wait another little while for the people to get their mail order copies and read them and then... Uh, I'll post a little poll on LJ to have people decide which characters they want to see. So if you don't follow my live journal, uh, kylegold.livejournal.com, that's where it's going to be. And, uh, congratulations, furries, for buying through what was nominally supposed to be two months' worth of books in a day and a half. Yes, and kudos, and thank you to all of you. Yeah. 
by the way. It was very cool. Um, Fur Planet, I believe, did quite well at the convention, so we were very pleased to hear that. I like. I always like to hear when uh, that furries are reading. I mean, I like it when they read my stuff or your yeah. stuff, but honestly, the more people read, the more they want to read, and, and that's just great for everyone, and so that's what we try to encourage. I just realized I don't actually have a copy of Bridges. Really? Did you I not f- buy one? I forgot to pick it up because I was going because I'd already read it, and I made it through the weekend. And I forgot to get one. I remember thinking that I was going to sign yours, and because I was trying to think, I was I, I was thinking, I was trying to remember what you had signed in my copy, and I'm like, I don't think you did because I don't think I have one. No, I, I definitely did not sign a copy. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll rectify that. You know I will. I know. I know you're good for it. You're a good otter that way. Yes, I am. You know what I'm good for. You write stories about it. I do. And, and vice do versa. And vice versa. Um, but we got a few letters. We're trying to catch up on our email because you guys keep emailing us and then we don't read your letters for like two months. So we're going to try to get a little better about that. Luckily, our string of live shows is going to be going on hiatus for about half a year plus. Yeah, about that. We're not going to be in the same place for uh, at the same convention for maybe uh september maybe i'm thinking it's september yeah. that's actually probably the next con i'm gonna get to we'll see if rain first manages to um well actually they've been very they've been great so hopefully they'll let us do another live show again they are great and i like seattle yes and so i get my we... i get my rain city punch <laughs> and and we know meet, where that leads and meet texan dingoes I'm just sort of drifting off now. (laughs) Read our first letter, why don't you? Okay. I thought long and hard on your call for tasteful euphemisms for sucking on a cherry popsicle, and I regret I can't think of a more G-rated way to talk about tying a knot with your tongue. I hope somebody else can provide you with a way to talk about hot dog sampling more subtly. You might just have to call a mouth hug what it is, an oral pole dance. Sincerely, Kaz. Sword swallowing Semensis. Cause he the Ethiopian wolf. I didn't know he was an Ethiopian wolf. Yeah. Oh, well, I knew, but I guess you didn't. I I did not. A lot of people don't specifically call that out, I guess. It's That's like interesting. Mike my, my rant in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't live in a river. No, but you live near a river. Yeah, at least you live near a bay. That's true. Well, that would imply, you know, it's like what I was saying many episodes ago about my rant about people who say they're otters and then they don't specify what kind. You know, people still can decide what type of wolf they are. And, you know, Ethiopian wolf. I didn't say there was anything wrong with it. I just said I wasn't aware. And I'm amused that an Ethiopian wolf lives in Canada, but then, you know. Well, I mean, we get Fenix who live in Texas, too. That's a good point, but at least Texas is kind of a desert climate. It sort of fits the fennec. That's true. Well, I know Arctic foxes who live in San Jose and Nevada. Both places? Yeah. Not well, the same Arctic fox. No, no, no. Okay. I, I said Arctic foxes, plural. <laughs> um, well, we appreciate Kaz's contribution to our euphemism for oral sex lexicon. He is our resident oral sex expert, at least who isn't Enthusiast. Us. Enthusiast. Fellatio Fan was one of his, I think, or... Uh, we need to compile all of them and just read them off in one episode at some point. 
We have all of his emails. We can have them like on, on an imprint on like a special bonus DVD. Like the label, we'll just have all of it. Or we'll have we'll have we'll have Kit cut cut them all together and like cause blowjob enthusiast, blowjob connoisseur, blowjob and impressionario, impresario. That's I think what I was. Trying or to get say. your degree. And I'm just thinking how many of our listeners are too young to know what that means. Or we do the little scroll up the screen mm-hmm. featuring all these great hits. <laughs> like, we'll only read the ones that have been highlighted in yellow and the exactly. rest will be in white. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Grey Muzzle Cast. Yeah, I know. Wow. Um, well, thank you, Kaz. Next letter. Good morning, Unsheathers, and Happy New Year. I've just returned from a great holidays, and I hope yours were collectively great as well. I've recently been reading the memoirs and collected works of an old favorite writer of mine, Kurt Vonnegut. Amongst other great ideas and tricks of the trade, though, I found a quote that startled me. Here is a lesson in creative writing. First rule, do not use semicolons. They are transvestite hermaphrodites representing absolutely nothing. All they do is show you've been to college. And Conroll wonders, is, are they really that dangerous? Is there some truth to this rather bold statement, or is he simply, as he commonly was, off his tits? I love that expression, by the way. Yes, it's good to know that we have people as in the UK. Gay fox, am I like permanently off my tits? Yes, I think you are. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I I think both both you and I love semicolons. Yeah, and I think we perhaps love them a little bit too much sometimes. So. We just kind of have to watch out for yeah, that. Yeah, all things in moderation. I'll also disagree with the note. I know plenty of people who have been to college who cannot use semicolons to save their lives. That's a good point. Yeah. But I think to actually disprove his statement, you would need to know someone who has not been to college who can use a semicolon. Sorry. I'd, I'd ask for something from our readership, Fox. but uh, we risk skewing a bit too young if we start trying to pull from that pool. Well, yeah. Um, I think probably what Vonnegut was getting out was that a semicolon is sort of a lazy way to join sentences together. Yeah. And you really shouldn't need to do that. And in fact, you can get by without using semicolons at all. Where they're useful and convenient is when you want to join two sentences together that are related, where one implies an action that is carried out or not carried out by the next sentence. Right. And you want it to flow well. So it's all a question of pacing. Yeah, and paragraph structure. And I think where you get into trouble is like anything, if you overdo it. Uh, I remember this was a while back, back on uh, the late departed Yif Star. There was this one story that had been getting a bunch of good reviews. And I went to go read it. And I'm not going to name names. But this was one of those stories where, like, every paragraph had about two sentences on average that had semicolons in them. And I got about a page into this story, and I was like, oh, get over yourself. This was definitely a case of the, a, an instance of you could tell the writer was in love with his own writing. Yeah, I'm just trying to and it wasn't that, it all together. It wasn't that good a story either. Yeah. That's when you want to tell him DTMFA. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's... I don't. The I think probably the first rule of writing is ignore any rules of writing that don't make you a better writer. Yeah. There was an article in the UK paper, The Guardian, recently, which our uh, UK friend Condrell might have seen, which 
quoted the Elmore Leonard's 10 rules of writing, which are pretty good rules, and then asked a bunch of other writers to list their 10. Um, Foosball actually pointed us to that one. Okay. And uh, there were some good ones in there, and it was amusing because a lot of the writers kind of contradicted each other. Like the one writer said, all you need to write is paper and a thesaurus and a life experience or something. And the other writer said, absolutely do not use a thesaurus because if you can't use the words that come easily to you, then you're stretching and you're going to use the wrong words. Yep. So, for know, reference, have a thesaurus, don't have a thesaurus. For reference, I use a thesaurus when I know there's a word I'm looking for and I can't think of it. I, I use a thesaurus maybe like two, three times a year. And that's mostly when I think... Um, like, I want something to be the color green, but I want to know if there's a synonym for the color green that implies malevolence, because I know, like, if, oh. if you've ever read... The, the book that comes to mind, for whatever reason, is the the Thomas Covenant series. Okay. He makes green evil. And, like, things that are green are sickly, and I, and I was just... I couldn't remember any of the adjectives he used to make green... Like, is it Viridian? Yeah, or, that would be you know, a good one. But he, he always puts kind of ad, adjectives behind it, like sickly emerald or... Um, and now I, I still can't remember any of them. I didn't ended up not using anything, so... I'm, I'm thinking now, trying to think if any of our listeners have green fursonas. Um, one of them does. The um, Mike McCoy, I believe, is a green... I know his icon's green. I'm trying. I'm blanking on whether he's a dragon or... I think he's a dragon. Okay. He'll no doubt write in. Um, but, so, there you go. We'll, uh, if, uh, I will try to remember to post the link to that article in the notes of the show. Okay. But, yeah, Oops. so, short version, yes, you can use semicolons. And our next email here. I'm totally the one guy who doesn't write but does tune in a half hour a week just to listen to you yap back and forth otherwise. Yay. And you're, you're not just the one guy. There's more than one of you. <laughs> but I am a developing artist, and a lot of what you guys talk about really inspires me to use my mind's eye in my drawing, to be able to have something in my head and be able to put it down on paper. Just so you know, by the way, that sentence had a semicolon in it, and it had a logical flow to it even if it is another means. I just like to tune in also and be able to laugh at your guys' bantering and funny jokes, as well as to your insight on many things when it comes to learning and thinking creatively. I can say that you guys have helped in a lot in my artistic field, so thank you. It's a fun time, and I always enjoy listening to your guys' podcast. Thanks again, Kapoku. Well, thank you, Kapoku. Yeah, it's good to know that our advice is sort of broadly helpful. I mean, I know that uh, we've mentioned before that, oh, we started as this... We're nominally an erotic writing podcast, but the stuff we talk about is just sort of applicable to writing in general. And to hear that our advice is useful to creativity in general is actually even better. That is very cool. And Kapoku actually brought up a, another usage of semicolon that we didn't discuss after the last letter, which is for a winky smiley face. <laughs> yes, there are those two. You can absolutely so, use them in that. And in fact, I think you need to. Well, no, there is the kind of the the cat face where you have the the tilde and then the the circumflex and the underscore underscore or yeah. something yeah so it always seem too complicated semicolon three for your winking otter oh is that what it is it always makes me think it's a cat 
It could be either, I think. It's definitely not a candid muzzle. Candid muzzles are too pokey. So is a is a combination of an otter and a cat a cotter or a catter? Welcome back, cotter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you should be. I, I am hanging on my head alienate and shame. half our listener base who doesn't couldn't even sing the theme song. Yeah, like once again, welcome to Cray Muscle Cats. Yeah, really. Okay, moving on. Thank you, Kapoku. Well, that's always great to hear. Um, hi, I'm Kalte Kalte Bild. Sounds Scandinavian. Yeah, I'm gonna say that. Anyway, Kalte asks. My question is: Have you ever read the books "The Catcher in the Rye" by J.D. Salinger and/or "The Scarlet Letter" by Nathaniel Hawthorne? And if so, what is your opinion on them? And any other classics, such as Animal Farm, Brave New World, etc. Uh, this is kind of timely. I believe he probably, I believe he sent it actually before Salinger died, but J.D. Salinger died recently. Yeah, just a couple weeks ago. And uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, of course, died probably about a century ago. Yeah. So, um, I have never actually read Catcher in the Rye. Really? Really. And uh, the last time I read The Scarlet Letter... Uh, I was a young cub in high school. Yeah, I was in junior year of high school. And to say that I read it would be giving myself too much credit. I kind of looked at it. Um, I read it, and I actually remember a lot of the a lot of the analysis we did of it. Oh, I got a ninety-two on my analysis of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you never had to you didn't have to yeah read the book. Um, but I remember the themes and the imagery in the story being very striking and very interesting to me yeah uh although the text itself was kind of tedious and i was yeah glad that i had somebody to explain it to me yeah i i've i always sort of felt that about anything like pre-20th century sort of yeah and actually really pre-1950 in a way uh especially when i was younger just trying to get through the language i mean it's modern english but it's not how our brains process modern english Oh, though I will say that uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn are uh, amazing. Oh, yeah, but Twain was a genius, too. So. Yes, he was. Um, and uh, Animal Farm... Animal Farm is... It's really it's really well done, but it's almost too allegorical for yeah, me. Yeah, I, I, I much prefer 1984. Wow. To Animal Farm. I, I, I thought that the... Exploration of themes in 1984 was actually really riveting. It probably was, although I think I've not read that again since high school, and my last memory of 1984 was the horrible, horrible movie. Oh, yeah. No, the movie's terrible. Um, but I did love a lot of what he did with language in that book. Yeah, and I remember when we uh, were in school and people were like, oh, just like, when they get to the part with Goldstein's book, just skip that because it's really boring. And I was like... Oh my God! Like you're completely missing the point of the story they're telling. If you, uh. but uh, I've never finished Brave New World. I've read like the first third of it, but I never finished it. Um, and it was just because I got I busy. I read it, but I don't recall a lot of it. Um, I recall some of the early stuff, and I recall again. I recall a lot of the themes of it more than I recall the actual text. Yeah, but I will say for so. So as not to sound completely uneducated and illiterate, um, "Heart of Darkness" by Joseph Conrad is probably my favorite classic book. Um, he is, does amazing things with 
description and language and character, and he has sentences and paragraphs, sentences that go on for paragraphs and paragraphs that go on for pages, and you read through it, and they're amazing. And you look at that and you say, holy crap, if I were to do that, I would strangle myself. You are one of several people who has told me that I'd need to read that, and I actually haven't. Oh, I may send you home tonight with a copy. I believe we have it here. Um, what about you, if you had to pick one classic work of literature? You know, I'm actually, and I'm not doing this to come out of left field and be pretentious. No, but Shakespeare. Shakespeare. No, no. Everyone should read Shakespeare. No, I'm actually going to uh, say that one of my favorite sort of modern classic books um, it's actually originally in Japanese. Uh, it's called Kokoro by Natsume Soseki. Uh, it's early 20th century. It was written in like 1914 or something. It's a uh, Meiji Restoration era uh, novel. You can read it in, in English. There's a very uh, good English translation that's uh, readily available. Well, we and, should trade classics then, because you haven't read mine and I haven't read yours. So okay, yeah, I will. Trade. I have a copy of it in my bookshelf. I can I can get it to you. Okay, cool. But uh, yeah, if if you read this book and sort of the themes it gets into, uh, a lot of my writing will suddenly make a lot of sense in retrospect. Uh, it's one of those. It's one of the few books that I was assigned to read as part of a class that I went back to reread willingly like, on my own after the fact, because I actually liked it so much. Oh, cool. And uh, Kit is reminding me that I'm on a crusade to read uh, Marcel Proust's In Search of Lost Time, which is his immense seven-volume epic thing. Um, I read the first volume a couple years ago, and he does just some wonderful things with language and people and events and i think i read you yeah, parts of them as you I read me some them. snippets and the language really is lovely um so i have the second book and uh i'm fixing to get through that one some at some point this year the remains of the day is probably too new to be a classic isn't it yeah yeah probably could you I call it say. a modern classic oh yeah you probably you could you should read the remains of the day you can probably yes. we've both read that you one. could probably read that in like two summer afternoons it's it's not a it's not a long book, but it's not a fast read either. No, and you should take your time over it because he does some some really wonderful things also. Yeah, and again, don't don't just cheat and watch the movie. We'll know. Yes. <laughs> Although you should watch the movie because you know Christopher Reeve. Yeah. All right. Why don't you go on? Okay. Hey guys, I'm not much of a writer, even though I do listen to your podcast. I'm more into doing comic books. That being said, I was wondering if any of you have ever written a comic book. Also, how would you change the way you write, if at all, if you knew the story you're writing was going to be presented in comic form? From Matt Stewart. Um, yeah, that's probably not his furry name, but he didn't include his furry name, and the Gmail address did not provide a clue to it. So, um, oh, There you go, Matt. I have actually written... Have I written a comic book? I've written one that hasn't come out yet. Um, the artist got real busy, and we're hoping to get it out next year, maybe. But I haven't written the script. I've just written sort of the high level to let him block out the pages. 
But I think we talked about this in a previous podcast, too. Yeah. Comic writing is sort of its own form of... Though, to be fair, we probably yeah. talked about it after he sent the email. Right. Um, so I would say there's not too much more to add to that. I thought his... Um, how would you change the way that you write? Um, I would put more emphasis on description. Yeah. So that um, the artist knows what they're drawing. Yeah. Also work closely with the artist to determine things like pacing. Right. Because that's something that when you're just writing narrative prose, you can control on sort of your own level as suit your needs. When you have to, you know, block out pages and, you know, have a visual medium, you have different concerns that you need to keep in mind. Right. And they do, they pace them kind of by page. Yeah. So you want to end each page on a beat. Um, Ideally, you want the pages to be like little chapters. Um, and uh, I think just for, for a good overview, where I, where I get most of my comic book sensibilities is from uh, Scott McCloud. Uh, he wrote Understanding Comics, Reinventing Comics. Um, there's a new one out now, I think, which I can't remember what the title is. But um, he really understands the form and is really good with giving you um, pointers, not just how to do a comic book well, but how to, um, but how to really stretch the boundaries to make the most of what you're working with. Right. Um, since we we're talking about classics before, some of our favorite comic writers, uh, Alan Moore. Oh yeah. Neil Gaiman's done some good stuff, of course. Yes, uh, absolutely. Grant Morrison is one of my favorites, and uh, I don't know how much you've read him, but I think you'd like him quite a bit. Uh, I've read a little bit of stuff. I mean, I comics is one of those things where I'm more than a dabbler, but I'm not like a hardcore comics reader either. Right. I mean, I've I've read a, a lot of the big classic stuff, you know, like you know Watchmen, and then you know sort of more mainstream stuff, you know, like the Dark Phoenix saga. I've read. Uh, a lot of the early runs of, uh, like, early comics. And uh, Bill Willingham, who's doing Fables now, um, is uh, another one of our uh, another one of our current favorites. Um, and I think, actually, um, Kit is reaching out with... His mind tele- pause. Mind pause. <laughs> and massaging my head. Uh, Alan Moore actually also has a how-to book out, how to but write does comics. Yeah, I don't think I knew that. Yep, and he's one that uh, he's one that you could do worse than learn from. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, anything else on that one? No, I mean I think that you have more direct experience with the medium than I do, and you kind of covered the points that I thought were relevant. Um. Speaking of which, Sofa Wolf actually is going to be up at the Emerald City Comic Convention in two weeks, uh, the weekend of March 13th and 14th in Seattle. Yep. Uh, you'll be able to buy um, my books, including X with the story by Kame Hirosaki in it and the issue of Heat with Kame Hirosaki in it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be in Seattle again in spirit. Yes. It's a very ottery kind of town. Uh, somebody drink a Rain City Punch for me. I don't know, Kit Silver is telling me legends, and I'm not sure what that means, but... Oh, Kit has written a comic book. 
Really? He has. It was called Legends. I'm going to have to delve into this, and not just with my mind pause. It might, it might involve the rest of that bottle of wine I haven't drunk yet. With your but. real pause. All right. Um, so we have an email, email here from Dusk, who is a... Uh, I think this is the same Dusk that we met over up at uh, Camp Farrell. But I'm not certain. Anyway, whoever it is, Dusk writes... Before I say anything, please ignore any bad grammar. Emails aren't too merciful. Uh, that would be a good place for a semicolon. Uh, I've listened to all the episodes except episode 25, which is currently uploaded on my iTunes. And in all honesty, I've been thoroughly surprised and pleased by your podcast as a whole. It's entertaining, and I hope you continue it for a long time. Because I've picked up a lot of great tips and tricks from both of you. If I wasn't at all nervous, I'd probably do better at wording the email. I probably sound like a psycho at this point. Well, I've been writing fan fiction for a while, and while it isn't the most fulfilling form of writing, it does pass the time and give me a way to vent into my hobby. Obviously, if I'm doing furry work, a big one for me would be, and is, Star Fox. I have started an original non-furry work, and I have a few pieces that are buried under the porch or in the closet while no one will ever find them. This leads me to my two questions due to the biggest problems of what shows up in my writing. I've listened to your previous episodes and have gotten bits and pieces of the questions through there, but I want a straight answer so I know what to work on. Oh, honey, if you want a straight answer, this is the wrong podcast. Uh, is there any special method that you use to help distinguish individual characters from each other or yourself other than a bio? And when is romance and fluff too much? I hope you get around to these. I'm sure you get a lot of emails. It would surely explain the three-month delay you had on the one response. Varying fursona dusk. So, um, well, second one first, I think that's easy. But yeah. romance and fluff, I think he means explicit sexual activity. Um, or I, I interpreted it to mean like lovey-dovey scenes of people fawning over each other and just sort of being cute on the page so that you can daw at them. Maybe. Furries like that sort of shit. That's true. <laughs> um, in, in either case, I would say it's too much when it stalls the plot yeah when you've been going on for pages and all they're doing is hugging and kissing and whatnot yeah it'll start to feel self-indulgent when it gets there yeah i agree um probably i would say you can't you should you should err on the side of cutting back like don't say well i'm not sure if i should add this extra paragraph so i'll throw it in just to be safe take it out just to be safe you move on to the next scene first. No, you move on to the next scene first. Oh my god. <laughs> no, you. Okay, on three. Uh, I almost want to write that now. Uh, you totally should. I really shouldn't. <laughs> um, that would be this whole meta story about two characters falling in love, but knowing that they're in a story, so and knowing that they're in a Kam Hirasaki story, so they're like, oh... One of us is going to get hurt in the next scene. No, you move on to the next scene first. No, you. Um, I'll do a reverse, reverse fake out. Ooh. Ooh. Slippery like an otter. Yes. Um, I can't help it. You could help it if you washed with bleach. Ah. <laughs> no. Um, so as far as, as characters... Um, you know the way 
the way really that you want to make your characters stand out is you have to have a sense of who they are. Yeah. Um, which sounds kind of disingenuous because you're like, well, this is Star Fox. I'll take the Star Fox example, even though I don't really know that much about him. But, um, you know, Star Fox is the captain. He's the pilot. He's the cocky one. So he's going to respond in a situation differently than, you know, your other characters who are, I don't know the names of any Slippy, of the other ones. Peppy, Slippy, Falco, right? Crystal, everyone with Crystal. Slippy, who's gonna go out with Gabe behind <laughs> yes. the barn and <laughs> Gabe? I'm in real trouble, Gabe. <laughs> I kiss another boy. Does that make me gay? I'll uh, read re- read Penny read Penny Arcade for the rest. It was about four years old, I think, but oh, yeah. it's still funny. It still, it cracks still me is. Up. Um. <laughs> So, you know, just from that, from knowing who the characters are, they're going to respond differently and they're going to be introduced differently. Yeah. Um, but the other thing you want to keep in mind is what, what do they want in the context of the story? Because everybody wants something. Even your side characters want something. Um, and that that is all going to be behind most of what they do through the course of the story. They're not going to always be consciously like, I want a glass of water. Um, but there's some goal that they're reaching for in the story. Yeah, I mean, you hear the phrase a lot, like, getting inside a character's head. And while that might sound trite, it really is true. It's like, if you can put yourself, you know, imagine being in this character's, you know, headspace. And, like, you know, what would they be thinking at this moment? How would they react versus think of that more than, how should I have them react? What should I have them say? Sort of try to eliminate the middleman of yourself as the writer, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and if you have to, if you, have to you can write a bio. Um, there's some exercises to developing characters that ask a bunch of questions about their past. Yeah. You know, where did they grow up? Did they get bullied in high school? Or were they a bully in high school? Did they yeah. play athletics? Did they play in band? Did they, were they one of the geeks with a teacher's pet with a slacker student what's their favorite color what's their favorite food to eat and if you sort of go through and answer all those questions that could be kind of a fun exercise like rolling up a character in D&D which um, for a little while I kind of thought you know rolling up a character is the fun part and I've just like I like creating a new character you know I know a lot of people for whom that's their favorite part of gaming yeah, and because and, you're inventing somebody, and and I know people who in gaming sort of put a whole lot of personality into their characters. Oh yeah. And with me, it was just kind of like, well, here's this person, and it's more or less me if I was a half elf, half sorcerer, half thief, half <laughs> I'm something. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm not going to reveal the depths of my D&D Geekitude by trying to correct all the mistakes you just made there, so I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> the fan base must not know. Yeah, you you think I'm joking, but... No, no, I, I don't. <laughs> the only thing that I did not... The only thing that I said that was not accurate was Sorcerer, but... Anyway. Um... Well, they didn't have sorcerers until third ad, really, right? Unless you like in no, it was, it was illusionist actually. <sighs> Which is were you a gnome? No, you're a half elf. You're just no, a half elf. Gnomes are better at being illusionists though, with their favorite yes, class. Yes, I know. But gnomes also get mercilessly made fun of by PCs and NPCs alike. 
Which is why they took them out of third ed. Like, Gnome isn't a base character race. I didn't know that. Yeah. My favorite story about third edition is that one of my friends um, was... <laughs> one of my friends was in the bookstore overhearing a conversation between a couple of kids. And third edition had just come out, which dates me. Um, but he would, the one kid was saying to the other one, it's like, oh my god... The third edition monster manual. Do you know what this means? And he was all prepared to be like, huh, pff, kids. And the other kid was like, what? The other kid said, nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, wow, those kids are kind of cool. Which was very amusing. Um, but anyway, if, you're, if you don't have a gaming system close at hand to roll up your characters with, um, do try to give them some definition. When you introduce them in the story, and this is leading up to our, I think, one of our very first listener exercises. Yes. Um, when you introduce, uh, yeah, I broke the otter. Yeah. When, when you introduce them in the story, um, they should be active. Yes. Have them doing something. And that something should tell you something about the character. So, you know, again, if you're introducing Star Fox in a story, he's setting off on a mission. He's firing a gun at somebody. He's blowing up another ship. He's, you know, whatever star captain pilots do. Um, if you introduce... Uh, if you introduce um, Slippy, you know, he's going to be fucking some guy behind the barn, I guess. <laughs> Um, like 20 times. Like 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Welcome to In-Joke, Grey Muzzle Cast. Um, sorry, again. The point The point is is that even if you're introducing a character that isn't your own creation, that the reader already knows who they are, you should still, for the context of the story, do something that puts them in character so that, bang, the reader's there. And so what we'd like to ask our listeners to do is write one paragraph that introduces a character within the context of a story and by the end of the paragraph we should get a good sense for um for who that character is and maybe even what the character wants and don't you know without you having to resort to something like um star fox searched the night sky for any trace of the ship he was seeking on his mission that's kind of, you know, out there. We're talking to sort of get more into the character. Um, so write in your paragraphs and uh, and we'll uh, we'll read the entries on the air. Um, Kit is looking skeptical. Um, he want, Kit wants there to be conflict. Yes. So we introduce your character in a paragraph having a fight with Kit. Um, you already wrote a story with my mate, you bitch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can't imagine Kit calling me a bitch. I, 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 I can. Whoa, where did my brain just go? I think it went where your brain went. I am going to bury my muzzle in this empty glass of water. Yes, you put your muzzle somewhere. Um, so... Write write a good paragraph. Introduce your character or something active, something some kind of conflict, 
Um, we will read the submissions uh, either next weekend or maybe the weekend after. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, that's. Uh, I hope that helps with the with the character stuff. Really, it's it's a question of getting to know your characters as if they were your friends. And if you really like your characters, then you're going to f- know how they're how they'd act, how they'd react, how they'd talk. The words they use are going to sound a little different. And yeah, um, that sort of stuff will fall naturally. Yeah, I was just going to say that they won't do stuff that doesn't feel natural. Yeah, and they might surprise you. They often do. Yeah, they might call Cam Hirosaki a bitch. I. Yeah. So that's your that's your alternate. Your characters could be either having a fight with Kit, or they could be calling <laughs> Cam Hirosaki a bitch. Wait, what? Why are those our choices? <laughs> that's it, and those are all the choices. No. So, <laughs> thank you for um, thank you for another episode. I think we're we're getting kind of late here, so um, we you can listen to us on iTunes, and we do hope you'll rate us there and and write positive, happy reviews, and um, not say horrible things about us. Please don't. Um, Actually, no. I do not. Do not call Kame Hirosaki a bitch on iTunes. Yeah, they'll get deleted. That's not kosher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let's see. What you were going to say? Something else about that? Uh, no, I was just going to say. Actually, just checked the reviews today for the first time in a while, and I was very pleasantly surprised to see the nice things people have to say about us. People like us, which yeah. is cool. And we appreciate that. We're going to try to keep on doing this and uh, try to keep on being entertaining. I know I think we both laughed quite a bit today and kit's laughing over there in his tech savvy wolf corner yeah um he added to the laughter though as we as we mentioned um yeah he he showed us a xkcd bit which was very amusing um as we mentioned sofa wolf will be up at emerald city comic-con in seattle in two weeks so you can buy your quality furry literature there Uh, on the complete other opposite side of the country Fur Planet will be at FWA in three weeks, which is the weekend of March 20th, I think. And uh, you can buy more quality furry literature there. And uh, as always, send in your questions to unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us as Unsheathed on FA, even if I sometimes forget to post that the things have come out. Um, KyleGold.LiveJournal.com and Kyle Gold on Twitter. Yeah, and... Cam Hirosaki on Twitter, camhirosaki.livejournal.com. It's all pretty easy. We're yeah. easy to find. I don't I hide in plain sight. Exactly. Like an otter. Like it yes. I don't <laughs> even know what that means. Um and uh well thank thank you all for listening and writing in. We're always uh always happy to get uh more questions and we look forward to meeting you guys at uh hopefully rain first in September. Yeah, we can uh do our first like and in, not not inaugural first annual. It'll be uh, our anniversary. The first time we repeat a show. Of, yeah. at a convention. We'll redo it word for word. Yeah, <laughs> that means we're gonna have to write more stories about each other. Uh, damn it, you're right. Anyway, keep on writing. I'm Kyle Gold. I am submissively humiliated. Cam Hirosaki. <laughs> His tail is all the way up. It really is. And I wish you a very pleasant good night. And happy writing. <laughs>